Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. So before we get started today, I have some really exciting news. Last week, our 1 million pillowcase challenge hit over 906,000 pillowcases donated to charity. So if you're making pillowcases to give to local organizations during the holidays, don't forget to let us know. We're getting close to that 1 million mark, and every pillowcase really does help. So if you Google 1 million pillowcase challenge, you'll find our website with all the details. Today's show is a great one for the holidays. It's really focused on infusing deeper meaning into our quilts, our hobby, and our collections. We start with a conversation about quilt labels and move to some heartwarming stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. One of our editors shares the story behind her most cherished quilt. It's the quilt that got her started on her quilting journey. We chat about the history of paper needlebooks and what to look for as a collector. And on Getting Social, we chat with Brittany Lloyd of Lo and Behold Stitchery, who shares how her late grandmother still influences her quilts and patterns. Let's dive in. We're starting with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, who's going to be sharing a little bit more about why you should be labeling your quilts. When I first started quilting, my grandmother told me several times to always label my quilts. We are fortunate to have some beautiful quilts in our family that date back to the mid-1800s. The whole reason we know that the quilts date back this far is because the quilt maker stitched her name and the date into the quilts. While we can't be sure how long our quilts will be around, it's a good idea to label them so that people who come after you can get to know you a little bit better. I made a New Year's resolution for myself two years ago that I would label every quilt I made, and it's been such a good decision. It takes almost no extra time, and it really adds such a special touch. Um, Allison, I love that your family quilts are labeled, so you can get that little extra bit of history and meaning from them. Uh, I have one family quilt, but there's no label, so I'm not really sure of the date or where it was made. Uh, really only what my grandmother remembers of it from her childhood with it. So Allison, why don't you share what information you might want to put on a label? Yeah, so there are certainly lots of things you can include, and these are just uh, some suggestions that we have, such as who made the quilt, the date and place the quilt was completed, the name of the quilt pattern, who quilted the project, whom the quilt was given to, the occasion for the quilt, such as a graduation, birthday, etc., instructions on how to care for your quilt. Lindsay, what information do you like to put on your labels? Yeah, those are all really great things to include. I usually only put my name and the finished date on the quilt, but if I'm gifting it, I always try to include like a sweet little message to fit the occasion. Uh, I also make my labels as soon as I start quilting the quilt. So the date I add to that label is always my deadline to myself. <laughs> uh, so it really helps keep me focused on finishing the project and it gives me a goal. <laughs> um, and I've never not hit a date. So wow. it really That's impressive. motivates <laughs> me. Um, so Allison, why don't you share some creative ideas for labeling your quilts? Yeah. So again, there are different ways of labeling. Do it whatever suits, suits your style and whatever you're comfortable with. You can draw, print, or embroider words and add embellishments such as vines, flowers, French knots, whatever kind of complements your quilt. You can incorporate extra fabrics or one or more extra blocks from the quilt top into the label. 
And for a framed finish, you can bind the label edges like a mini quilt. You just sew the leftover binding from the quilt around the label edges. Then you turn the binding over the edge to the wrong side and hand stitch the label to the backing. You just want to make sure you're not stitching all the way through the top of the quilt. Yep, that's that's a, a special way to label your quilts. Probably save that one for uh, very special. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> yep. And just remember uh, to make sure that a label can't easily be removed from the quilt. Stitch the label into the backing fabric and quilt through it. Yeah, that special tip is an important one to remember because if your quilt ever gets stolen, it's very easy for the person who took it to take the label off if it's not quilted down. So if your quilts are being showcased in quilt shows or in quilt shops or you're traveling with them, you might want to take extra care to label those securely. So Allison, how do you label your quilts? Well, when it comes to labeling my quilts, I actually enlist the help of my mom who owns a custom embroidery business. Um, so she has a huge industrial machine, but if your home machine has embroidery capabilities, you can easily do the following method at home. She stitches my initials and the year that the quilt is completed on a piece of twill tape. Then I fold that in half and kind of between my initials and the year and stitch it into the binding. And to make sure that the label is really secure, I machine stitch the label onto the quilt using about an eighth inch seam so that when I pull the binding around to the back of the quilt to hand stitch it down, the label is secure. Do you ever, does your mom ever make you too many labels for one year and you yes. feel like pressure oh to gosh. use them all? I was just talking to her about this because I said, I don't know if I finished any quilts this year and I have all these 2019 <laughs> labels that I need to use. She's going to have to make you more 2021. I know. Um, so I like to make my labels from pre-printed fabric panels. So the ones I have are from Robert Kaufman, but a lot of other companies print just like a bunch of labels on one panel so that you just have to cut them out and then add them to your quilt. So I write on all my labels with a micron pen, which really, uh, it writes really nicely on fabric and I've never had trouble with it bleeding. I just make sure to set the ink with a hot iron and no steam. Um, and I wash all my quilts and they've never faded. So I think that's a good... Uh, good solution. Mm -hmm. um, and then I always put my label in the corner of the quilt and then I catch two sides of the label in the stitching of my binding and then I turn under the other two edges of the label and then I hand sew them to the backing for like a nice finished look. Um, but Allison, you have some other tips for writing on fabric. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you select a fabric in a color that allows the ink to show. Avoid white on white prints also because the pattern is painted on the fabric rather than dyed into it, which can cause troubles when you're trying to write on it. Um, you can also pre-wash your fabric. Cotton fabrics sometimes contain sizing, which acts as a barrier to ink penetration. You also want to purchase pens that have permanent ink and are made for use on fabric. I do recommend using Micron pens, which can be found at many quilt shops or art supply stores. Um, a fine point, like a size 01, which is 0.25 millimeters, uh, writes really delicately and is less likely to bleed as it writes. Lines can also be made thicker just by going over them and kind of tracing over your lines. But if you want larger letters or numbers, um, a size 05, which is a 0.45 millimeter pen, works really well. And of course, you want to make sure to test the pen on your fabric sample first and follow the manufacturer's directions for setting the ink. Wait 24 hours for the ink to set and then wash the sample as you would the quilt. 
It takes extra time to do a test, but it will pay off because you don't want anything to run on your nice quilt. Exactly. If you don't care to use your own handwriting or just want to ensure nicely spaced letters, you can type your words um, on a computer and then just print it out and you can um, trace the letters uh, onto your fabric using that kind of as a template. Mm -hmm. You also want to make sure to write slowly and use a lighter touch than you would normally use when writing on paper. This allows time for the ink to flow into the fabric and also lets you control the letters. Yeah, and many people print labels using their computers. Allison, do you want to share a little bit about how that process would work? So to print a quilt label directly onto fabric using your computer, look for printer fabric sheets, which feed into an inkjet printer. Um, You can find them in quilt stores usually or online. Um, You can also prepare your own fabric using a fixative such as Bubble Jet Set 2000 to ensure the printing will be permanent. When you're ready to print, you first want to print the label on paper to make sure the design and words appear as desired and there's room for seam allowances. Then follow the manufacturer's instructions for printing, peeling off the paper backing and setting. Then trim the label to the desired size. To create a custom label design, use Word or design software to combine text, photos, and clip art. If you already have a method in place for labeling your quilts, I'm giving you a virtual high five. (laughs) Um, If you're new to quilting or haven't really thought about labeling your projects, hopefully you feel inspired to do so now. When finishing up a quilt, adding a label can seem just like one more thing you have to do, so it's easy to forget or put off to another date. I like to get my quilt label ready while my quilt top is out being quilted or while I'm preparing my binding. This way, I only have to think about attaching it, which only takes a few minutes. That's the beauty of quilt labels. They don't take long to make, but they can create long-lasting memories. Thank you so much, Allison. So if you visit the show notes, we'll link to some other creative ideas for your quilt labels so that you can feel inspired to get started with your next project. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Allison for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in their communities. So this first story comes from Post Bulletin out of Minnesota. The Minnesotans are in this story are definitely living up to their Minnesota nice nickname. <laughs> Members of the Fairway Ridge Cooperative's So What group are making Minnesota-shaped pillows to give to patients staying at the Ronald McDonald House in Rochester. For many patients this time of year, holidays are filled with doctor visits, treatments, and procedures. This group of over 15 volunteers is making sure that these individuals are comforted during the holiday season. They are using donated fabric, mostly fleece and flannel, to make Minnesota-shaped pillows. The pillows are made in a variety of fun colors and patterns, and each one is completed with an applique face, sewn on heart, and a tag that reads, Someone in Rochester, Minnesota loves you. Pat Frazee started the Sew Wet group at the Fairway Ridge Co-op in 2015, and it began as a soup and sew. However, soon after the group was started, she realized that people were mostly socializing and sewing rather than eating soup. The group then morphed into Sew Wet, and they started meeting weekly. Throughout the week, when they aren't meeting, supplies are left out at the co-op for residents to stop by and sew whatever and whenever they'd like. At the end of October, volunteers gathered for one final push to finish up pillows for this holiday season. Some volunteers had years of sewing experience, while others had no idea how to sew. 
regardless of their sewing skills, there was a place for everyone. The room was set up assembly line style and had stations for sewing, stuffing, closing up pillows, and adding tags. Many people in the room remarked at how cute and adorable the pillows turned out. Once all of the pillows were completed, volunteers took the pillows to the Ronald McDonald House to distribute. In addition to giving out the pillows, the group also helped serve dinner to the residents at the house. Katie Arnott, a volunteer director of the Ronald McDonald House, said the pillows are a fun token for the children and families staying at the house. They were very excited to receive this unique item during their stay, she said. All families were especially fond of the Minnesota-shaped pillows because it reminded them of their time at the house and in Rochester. I love that. I know our our group donates pillowcases to the Ronald McDonald House, so it mm-hmm. seems like pillows are a popular item for them, but it's just something nice, handmade, something that feels a little more like home for them when they're doing their extended stays right. there. And if you follow um, the link to the article, you can see the pillows, and they really are adorable. Oh, fun. We'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can see. Yeah. All right. This next story comes from our local news station, WHO-TV, and takes place in Gilbert, Iowa. It's no surprise that it gets quite cold in the Midwest during winter months, and three sisters, originally from Gilbert, are on a mission to keep people warm. The Three Sisters nonprofit sews ponchos to give to infants, individuals who are wheelchair-bound, and cancer patients. The sisters now live in different parts of the country, but came together for a great cause. Barbara, one of the sisters, said, I lost my stepdaughter in December 2015. She passed away, and I knew there was something I wanted to do, but I just wasn't sure what it was. I approached the two sisters and said, what if we were to take this idea and start making these ponchos to donate to others in need? All three women started sewing from a very young age, so they had all the skills they needed to start making ponchos. Once this idea came about, they formed the Three Sisters nonprofit and began donating ponchos to women's shelters and other agencies in need. Some of their donations have gone to Friendship Arc, an agency that helps with day trips for homebound adults. The sisters have donated ponchos to Martha's House of Hope. The director of the house said, Martha's House of Hope is here for expectant moms who have nowhere to go. This is a place where they can come and feel loved and build a relationship with her baby. So far, the sisters have donated over a 1,000 items since they started on the mission three years ago. They have donated to 24 states and six different countries. In addition to making ponchos to donate, they also sell ponchos online in order to raise money to help pay for the materials. You can find out more about the three sisters and how to donate if you want in our show notes. Thanks so much, Allison. Thanks. I'm now here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, who has a new column of American Patchwork and Quilting to talk to you about. So we are introducing a new column in 2020 in American Patchwork and Quilting, and it is called My Most Cherished Quilt. And we're reaching out to quilt makers and asking them to tell us stories about their most cherished quilt. We know oftentimes those stories don't get told and we want to be featuring those. Well, I thought if I was going to ask other people to do it, that I also needed to share my most cherished quilt. So I want to tell you a little story about my quilt. It is uh, in the letter to the editor 
of American Patchwork and Quilting, the February 2020 issue. So if you go there, you can see me holding the quilt and a couple other photographs. And then in the issue, it's going to be on the last page. So in the February issue, we are featuring Corey Yoder. In our April issue, we're going to be featuring Pam Buddha. So those are just a couple of the designers uh, that you can look forward to seeing their most cherished quilt. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine. My most cherished quilt was made by my great aunt, Gertrude Vile, and it was made for my parents' wedding in 1962. Now, Gertrude was the oldest of seven children, and she was the only girl, so my grandpa was one of her six brothers. Gertrude never married, but she had a lot of nieces and nephews, and she had a lot of great nieces and nephews. Gertrude turned 100 in 1988, and for her 100th birthday party, we gathered in the care facility where she lived. People brought quilts that she had made, and we displayed them in the activity room over the backs of chairs. She had broken a hip several years prior, and it had not been properly set, and so she got around by using a wheelchair. And as she scooted up in her wheelchair to look at each of the quilts and to talk to the family member who brought the quilt, I was so interested, and I enjoyed listening to each of these stories. I decided that day that I wanted to be the quilter in my generation. I checked out books from the library, I took classes, I joined a guild, I was all in. Now almost 20 years later, I joined the staff of American Patchwork and Quilting. And I started giving lectures and talks about, you know, what got me started in quilting and the actual quilt that got me started. And it was this pink and green floral applique quilt that Gertrude had made for my parents. Now, my mom came to one of these talks, and she's not a quilter. I've tried, but she is just not interested. A few days later, uh, my mom gave me the quilt, and she said to me, You know, Jody, you're going to get this quilt someday anyway. I want you to have it now, and I want you to take it with you when you give your talks so people can see the beautiful quilt that Gertrude made for us. Now, as a former speech teacher, my mom knows the benefit of a good visual aid. I still didn't know the name of the pattern, though, and that was really bothering me. I wasn't sure what the source was, and I didn't know what to call the quilt. On my 50th birthday, I attended the Iowa-Illinois Quilt Study Group meeting. And in that meeting, there's always a silent auction, and people bring quilts and patterns and books, and we're trying to raise funds for speakers for the group. So as I was going around and looking at the different things that I wanted to bid on that day, I spied a Montgomery Ward pattern booklet that had the quilt on the cover. I knew that that booklet needed to go home with me that day. I circled around and each time somebody would bid on it, I would bid higher and bid higher and bid higher. I bid way more than I normally would have, but it was my 50th birthday and I just felt like Gertrude was winking at me that day and I was gonna go home with that booklet no matter what. Now, if you look in the February issue on the editor's letter, you will see a picture of me with the quilt. There's also a photograph of my mom and Aunt Gertrude on that very day. How many of you can say you have a photograph of the day you decided to start quilting? I treasure that photograph of my mom and Aunt Gertrude together. And there's also a photograph of the booklet that was the pattern source. Now, we're going to be featuring the My Most Cherished Quilt, as I mentioned, on the last page of each issue of American Patchwork and Quilting. And we want you to share your most cherished quilts with us on Instagram and use the tag My Cherished Quilts. Now Jody will be doing Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore antique quilts and notions and their history. What are we learning today, Jody? Well, today we're going to talk about vintage needlebooks. And they were popular... Um, 
starting in the late 1800s up until probably around the 1970s, the ones I want to concentrate on today are ones that were made with paper. So these featured really colorful graphics, and right now we just love the artwork that we're on uh, those particular kinds of needle barks. Now, typically what happened is that they were folded, and in the center, when you opened it up, there would be a variety of needles, and sometimes there would also be a needle threader, but these didn't have thread or scissors in them, so they weren't sewing kits. They were just needle books that you had needles in a variety of different sizes. Now, I'm a collector of needle books, and there's kind of certain genres that you can collect. At first, I was collecting them because they were pretty inexpensive, and then I found out, oh my gosh, there are certain groups that you can actually collect. So, for example, I have about 20 different needle books that are from grocery stores. So, Alpha Beta, Hinky Dinky, Safeway, Super Value, Kroger, Red Owl and Piggly Wiggly are just a few of the examples of grocery stores that gave out needle books. And I love the ones from grocery stores because they always have great colorful graphics on them. Now some needle books were also had a political bent. So being an Iowan, I have an interest in Hubert Her Herbert Hoover uh, ephemera and he was elected president, and he's from Iowa, and his presidential library is here in Iowa. And so I had seen one time that there was a needle book from 1928 with Herbert Hoover and Charles Curtis, who was his uh, vice presidential running mate. And they, their picture was on the outside of the needle book, and then on the inside it had the local candidates uh, from the GOP. And again, that's from 1928, and I love the red, white, and blue version of that that I have. Now, during the 1950s, uh, travel was a really popular theme. So you see a lot of needlebooks that have trains, ships, airplanes, motorcycles, and even rocket ships, because that was a really popular theme during the 1950s. So sometimes you'll see a man and a woman on a, on a rocket ship, and then they've got a needle in their hand. It's really crazy. The earlier ones also feature horses, so you can kind of tell the age of it by the kind of transportation that was used on the needlebook. Now, there are a lot of companies that advertise their products in needle books. So, for example, insurance companies, um, dairies would have little milk bottle shaped needle books, coffee companies, paint companies, Kellogg cereals, Virginia Slim cigarettes, and Lipton Tea were all companies that had needle books with their products on the outside. Now there's also some, and these are the ones that maybe you have seen, they're a little more popular and a little more available, and they had women with other groups of women sewing together or with small children. So these had a lot of alliteration. So for example, there was Sewing Susan, there was The Happy Home, The Lovely Lady, and The Stitch and Sew. And those are just a few of them. Um, a lot of these um, have been reproduced in the last few years. So if you're looking for a vintage version, you really want to handle it and look at it. And you can really tell because the vintage ones just have a little different paper quality. And they probably have a little more wear and tear on them. But there are new ones being reproduced with these older images on them. So just be aware of that. Now, while it's not the most valuable, the most precious one to me in my collection is the one that was handed out by Sanders Hardware Hank in early Iowa in the 1970s. This is a business that my in-laws have owned for over 60 years, and I actually have two of them, and someday each of my sons will be able to have one of these uh, keepsakes. It'll be a great reminder of the summer breaks and holidays that they spent working at the store with their grandparents. I hope you will take a look at maybe 
collecting needlebooks someday. I have one that was passed down. It was a Virginia Slims one, so I don't know who the smoker was in my family, but someone got it in a pack of cigarettes, and I now own it. So I wish I had one of the Sewing Susan ones. (laughs) We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social with Jess. I'm your host, Jess Ziegler. My guest today is Brittany Lloyd. Brittany is an exciting pattern designer behind the brand Lo and Behold Stitchery. I've been honored to quilt for Brittany several times over the last few years. She has some amazing patterns out like interwoven, church windows, vintage lace, among others. Uh, We talk about her sewing and quilting origins and how she's both paying tribute to the past and looking ahead to the future. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I would uh, like to just start out with a background. Um, If you would give our audience a little bit of your personal life and your quilting life. Yeah, so my name is Brittany Lloyd. I am from Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm married to my husband, Peter, and um, I am also a nurse. So I went to school for nursing, and I've been working in the NICU for about a little over six years. Love that. Yeah, so I um, I started quilting. It was basically after my grandmother passed away. Um, her name was Lois, and she was really, really big into quilting. She was really big into any sort of art form, really, but quilting was kind of her claim to fame. Um, She passed away about five years ago. And regretfully, I didn't really have an interest in like sewing or quilting when she was alive. But when she passed away, I inherited um, like her sewing machine, her fabric, like all of her notions and the quilts that I didn't already have. I then got to acquire more quilts. And so I kind of was left with all of these things. And I was just like, okay, like, what am I going to do with all of this? And so I kind of got this wild hair that I wanted to try to learn how to quilt. And so I made my first quilt and it took me forever. And I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't even know what a seam allowance was. And I was like, why aren't these two two inch pieces? Why aren't they equaling four inches? I like (laughs) my mind around it. And so after a lot of trial and error, I you know, finally finished my first quilt and it is so far from perfect. I've since retired it because I feel like it's just going to fall apart if I even look at it. I just wanted to kind of learn in her memory and I kind of was hooked after that. So did you have any classes or are you learning by watching online tutorials or how did you kind of approach? Yeah, it was online tutorials and I had a local quilt shop that I went to and they had to explain like, this is a seam allowance. This is like, you know, how you handle this problem. This is how, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it was a mixture of local help and also just YouTube wonderful things. So I, I just love how you weren't afraid of jumping in and trying because so many of us learn by trial and error, like you're saying. That's great. Let's talk about how you're honoring. Well, f- oh, first of all, explain, because I know your the background of your name, Lo and Behold Stitchery, but maybe share that with our audience too. So first of all, when I first started quilting, I never even dreamed of making it a business. When I learned how to use a sewing machine, I just like went to town and I was making anything and everything that I could make. Lanyards, key fobs, burp cloths. I even bought an embroidery machine and I was embroidering things. And my husband had the idea, um, why don't you open up an Etsy shop? And I was like, what? 
no one, no one would buy anything that I have made. Like that is just ridiculous. So after I kept, you know, making things and making things and we kept acquiring more things, like I would give some things away, but you can only give away but so much and people are kind of like, okay, I have enough. (laughs) So eventually I did open up an Etsy shop just to try it. And that was two years ago. And I was thinking of what I wanted my name to be. And I somehow, I wanted to make it meaningful and to kind of go back to why I started. And I wanted to somehow incorporate the name Lois. So I kind of was playing around with like Lois and Brittany. And I Mm -hmm. came up Lo and behold, um, the B was for Brittany and then low for Lois. And it just kind of stuck. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to leave it stitchery in case like I wanted to go any direction, you know, knitting, quilting, whatever. But I ended up stopping doing all of the other things because I felt like I was just making for other people. And, you know, once people learn that you know how to sew, they want you to make them, I mean, everything. So I um, I kind of got burnt out because everyone, I felt like I was just making things for other people and not really making things for myself. And what really brought me joy and what really resonated with me and made me really happy was making quilts. So I kind of got to the point, it was after probably a year um, that I just wanted to stop doing like the Etsy thing and stop making things for people. And I just wanted to focus on quilting. And that kind of brought me to designing and kind of making things for myself. And it's kind of just taken off from there. Yes, it has. So I wanted to talk about how you're honoring your grandma's legacy in this pattern collection. Talk a little bit about what it's called and what you have released and what you have planned because I think that's really interesting and fun. Yeah. So the whole time that I've been doing this, I mean, probably every day I think to myself, like, gosh, don't want to get emotional here, but I wish that we could like be here together, like doing this together. Or like, I wish that she could see me now or what would she think? Um, woo. I didn't set any tissues beside me, but um, so kind of stemming from that thought, I was thinking one day, like I have all of these quilts that she made. What if there was some way that we could still collaborate and like still kind of do something together? Um, so she she was a very traditional quilter and I was kind of thinking, what if I took her traditional ideas and her traditional quilts that she did and kind of put my own spin on it and made it modern? And um, that's where I came up with the idea. What if I make just like a collection of quilts that are my own, but they're inspired by her? So I named it the Lois Quilt Collection. And right now there are two quilts in the collection. Um, the first one was kind of a spin on my baby quilt that she made me. In that quilt, she used um, a classic block combination called the Celtic Twist. There, there's a few other names for it, but I think I settled on calling it that. I think it's also Round the Twist. So I kind of like did a little bit of research on the block style and I found out that it came from the 1800s and it was really popular um, back in the 80s and 90s, which is probably why she did it as my baby quilt. <laughs> and so I kind of made it my own. I played with the coloring. I put it on point. I did a traditional and a modern version. The traditional looks a little bit more like mine. And then the modern version looks a little bit more like tile, which is really cool. And then I called that quilt first gift because it was the first gift that she ever gave to me. So that was my first quilt in the collection. And then my second quilt was based off of a 
log cabin quilt that she did. And so I played with negative space for that one. And I put the blocks on point and um, I called it Model Farm. And I named it that because that was the street that they lived on for like 40 years. It was Model Farm Road. Um, And since it was a log cabin block that their house was on Model Farm Road, so I named it Model Farm. So I try to play with the designs that she's done, but then also give it a meaning that is, you know, special to me. When you were starting to talk about Model Farm, I just wasn't associating the name. I know exactly what you're talking about now when you said log cabin. Isn't it kind of centered in the piece and then there's a a lot of negative space it around is. it. Okay, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. So her original quilt, I'm looking at it right now, but the Model Farm inspiration quilt was like edge to edge log cabins. And like the whole quilt is just these like tiny log cabin pieces. And I played with negative space for that quilt, which I don't normally do. So it was kind of scary, but I was like, I'm going to, you know, try something new and see how it goes. And it looks completely different than anything that I normally do, which also makes it really fun and unique. So So, um, so that one's a really, really fun one. And then I have a few more quilts in the works that are inspired by hers. There's some attic window and she did a double wedding ring. I don't know if I can do that (laughs) justice, but, um, but she has a lot, a lot of quilts that she made and it's been really fun to kind of revisit them and like learn about the history and also just kind of admire the work that she did. It is a true collaboration and I love that you're honoring her. She would be so proud of you. I can't even, I can't even. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's really cool to see that other people appreciate it too, because like, I can't help but think about like what she would say about that. And I could just see her being like, gosh, like just tickled pink, you know, like she, she was such a humble lady. And to think that other people are like making quilts that was inspired by her quilt. I feel like that would just blow her mind. So yes. Really- and around the world. Yeah. I mean, we're not limited to just your area or your local quilt shop. I mean, you're pattern sales, I'm sure, are all around the world and that people are enjoying the quilting process. Something she loves so much inspired by her via you is just like, that's more than I can handle. (laughs) It's, it's really, really crazy. I love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, so do you have any quilt alongs coming up? Um, I love quilt alongs. Let's see. I think I've done three, maybe four. I should probably know this, but I, they are a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun. And I feel like it really spreads the word and like gets the pattern out there and it gets people talking about it. And then it's also the three that I've done or the four, I don't know how many I've done, but that I've done it's typically been for like my more trickier patterns so like curves or um, interwoven has scant quarter inch seams so it's been about patterns that have these certain techniques that I would really like to talk about and like make sure people understand that these techniques are really important for the pattern so I think that they're really good for helping people to just have a successful experience with the pattern too so I probably will continue to do them I haven't done one in a few months now but the start of the new year I'm probably I'm going to be looking to do another one so yeah very good well I really appreciate you sitting down and taking the time with me today it was such a pleasure we've I feel like we're real life friends since we've met and I love quilting for you and you know I just I you're just at the very beginning of your quilting journey and I just can't wait to see the other things that you come up with and your collaborations with Lois or otherwise thank you thank you (laughs) 
Brittany has a heart of gold and is someone you just can't help but cheer on and love everything she does. She was the perfect interview to end on. Yes, you heard that right. I won't be recording any more interviews on the podcast, at least not as the interviewer. Over the course of my time contributing, I have mentioned that I'm a long-arm quilter. I just have not been able to manage both gigs as well as I thought I was going to, to be completely honest. And I'm trying to find a little bit more space in my schedule. I cannot even remember the last time I created anything for the pure enjoyment of it. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to that. And in the meanwhile, I just want to say thank you to the staff of American Patchwork and Quilting for asking me to do this. It was a huge honor for me to be asked, and it's been such a cool opportunity to interview the people I truly admire in the industry. The connections and the conversations have been worth everything. I am so truly grateful. I'm not going anywhere in my day job. In fact, keep your ear out for at least one more segment that will be released in the near future. And as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm at Threaded Quilting on Instagram. I have links to all my projects from there. Thank you so much for listening. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to be invited into your workouts, your commutes, your sewing sessions, whatever you do when you listen. It is not something I take lightly. So thank you very much. Have a wonderful week. Before we leave today, I just want to mention a really amazing subscription offer that we have only for our podcast listeners. So you can all get 60% off a year subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. That's only $5.99 for one year of magazines. So if this is on your holiday wish list, or you have some quilting buddies that you want to gift a subscription to, visit the show notes for a link for this amazing offer.